Section 11 of The Broad Highway by Geoffrey Farnell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Leader. Book 1, Chapter 26, Wherein I Learn More Concerning the Ghost of the Ruined Hut. And after the Ancient and Simon and I had, very creditably, emptied the jug between us, I rose to depart. Peter, said the Ancient, where be going? Home, said I. "'And where be that?' "'The cottage in the hollow,' said I. "'What? The haunted cottage?' he cried, staring. "'Yes,' I nodded. "'From what I saw of it, I think with a little repairing, it might suit me very well.' "'But the ghost?' cried the old man. "'Have you forgot the ghost?' "'Why, I never heard of a ghost really harming anyone yet,' I answered. "'Peter,' said Simon quietly, I wouldn't be too sure of that. I wouldn't go and the place myself. <laughs> once is enough for me. Simon, said I, what do you mean by once? Now when I asked him this, Simon breathed hard and shuffled uneasily in his chair. I mean, Peter, as I've heard him, he replied slowly. Heard him? I repeated incredulously. You? Are you sure? Sure as death, Peter. I've hearin a shriekin and a groanin to hisself, same as Gaffer has, and lots of others. Why, Lord bless ye, there'd be scarce a man in these parts but has heard em an one time or another. Eh, I've heard un, and seen un too, croaked the ancient excitedly. A girt tall think he be, with a horn on his head, and likewise a tail. Some might have thought twas the wandering man of the roads as I found hangin on de staple. Some of em do, but I knowed better. I knowed twere old Nick hisself, all flame and brimstone, and with a babby under his arm. A baby, I repeated. A babby as ever was, nodded the ancient. And you say you have heard it too, Simon? said I. Eh, nodded the innkeeper. I went down into the holler one evening, about six months ago, with Black Charge, for we had a mind to knock the old place to pieces and get rid of the ghost that way. We're charged ups with his hammer, and down comes the rotten old door with a crash. Jarge had swung up his hammer for another blow when, all at once, there comes a scream. Here Simon shivered involuntarily and glanced uneasily over his shoulder and round the room. A scream? said I. Ah, nodded Simon. But twas worse nor that. Here he paused again, and, looking closer at him, I was surprised to see that his broad, strong hands were shaking, and that his brow glistened with moisture. What was it like? I inquired, struck by his apparent weakness in one so hardy and full of health. Twere a scream with a bubble in it, he answered, speaking with an effort. Twere like somebody shrieking out with his throat choked up with blood. "'Jarge and me didn't wait for no more. We run. "'And as we run, it followed, groaning after us till we was out upon the road, "'and then it shrieked at us from the bushes. "'Ecard, it do make me cold to talk of it even now. "'Jarge left his best sledge behind him, and I my crowbar, "'and we never went back for them, nor never shall, no.' "'Here Simon paused to mop the grizzled hair at his temples.' I tell ye, Peter, that place aren't fit for no man at night. If so be you am a-looking for a bed, my chap, there's one you can have at the bowl, ready and willin'. And gratis, 
added the ancient, tapping his snuff-box. "'Thank you,' said I, "'both of you, for the offer, but I have a strange fancy to hear, and, if possible, see this ghost for myself.' "'Don't you do it!' admonished the ancient. "'So dark and lonesome as it be, don't ye do it, Peter!' "'Why, ancient,' said I, "'it isn't that I doubt your word, but my mind is set on the adventure.' So if Simon will let me have three penny worth of candles, and some bread and meat, no matter what, I'll be off, for I should like to get there before dusk. Nodding gloomily, Simon rose and went out, whereupon the ancient leaned over and laid a yellow claw-like hand upon my arm. "'Peter,' said he, "'Peter, I've took to your amazer just a few inches taller, say a couple, and you'd be the very spit to what I were at your age, the very spit.' "'Thank you, Ancient,' said I, laying my hand on his. "'Now, Peter, would be a hideous thing, a very hideous thing, if, when I come a-gatherin' watercress in the mornin', I should find you a-danglin' on to staple, cold and stiff, like t'other, or lying a cord with your throat cut. "'Twould be a hideous, a hideous thing, Peter. Oh, but, oh, twould make a fine story in the tellin'. In a little while Simon returned with the candles, a tinder-box, and a parcel of bread and meat, for which he gloomily but persistently refused payment. Last of all he produced a small, brass-bound pistol, which he insisted on my taking. "'Not as it'll be much use again a ghost,' said he, with a gloomy shake of the head, "'but a pistol's a comfortable thing to have in a lonely place, especially if that place be very dark.' which last, if something illogical, may be none the less true. So, having shaken each by the hand, I bade them good-night, and set off along the darkening road. CHAPTER Twenty Seven, WHICH TELLS HOW AND IN WHAT MANNER I SAW THE GHOST. Now, as I went, my mind was greatly exercised as to a feasible explanation of what I had just heard, that a man so old as the ancient should see things, I could readily believe, by reason of his years, for great age is often subject to such hallucinations. But with Simon, a man in the prime of his life, it was a different matter altogether. That he had been absolutely sincere in his story I had read in his dilating eye, and the involuntary shiver that had passed over him while he spoke. Here indeed, though, I scouted all idea of supernatural agency. There lay a mystery that piqued my curiosity not a little. Ghosts! Pshaw! What being endowed with a reasoning mind could allow himself to think, let alone believe in such folly? Ghosts! Fiddle-dee-dee, sir! Yet here, and all at once, like an enemy from the dark, old stories leaped at and seized me by the throat. Old tales of spectres grim and bloody, of goblins and haunted houses from whose dim desolation strange sounds would come, tales long since heard and forgot, till now. Ghosts! Why, the road was full of them. They crowded upon my heels, they peered over my shoulders. I felt them brush my elbows, and heard them gibbering at me from the shadows. And the sun was setting already. Ghosts! and why not? There are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamed of in your philosophy. 
Involuntarily I hastened my steps, but the sun had set ere I reached the hollow. Yes, the sun had set, and the great basin below me was already brimful of shadows which, as I watched, seemed to assume shapes, vast, nebulous, and constantly changing, down there amid the purple gloom of the trees. Indeed, it looked an unholy place in the half-light, a pit framed for murders, and the safe hiding of tell-tale corpses, the very haunt of horrid goblins and spectres, grim and ghastly. So evilly did the place impress me that it needed an effort of will ere I could bring myself to descend the precipitous slope. Bats flitted to and fro across my path, now and then emitting their sharp, needle-like note, while, from somewhere in the dimness beyond, an owl hooted. By the time I reached the cottage it had fallen quite dark here in the hollow, though the light still lingered in the world above. So I took out my tinder-box, and one of the candles, which, after several failures, I succeeded in lighting, and, stepping into the cottage, began to look about me. The place was small, as I think I have before said, and comprised two rooms shut off from each other by a strong partition with a door midway. Lifting the candle, I glanced at the staple on which the builder of the cottage had choked out his life so many years ago, and, calling to mind the ancient's fierce desire to outlast it, I even reached up my hand and gave it a shake. But, despite the rust of years, the iron felt as strong and rigid as ever, so that it seemed the old man's innocent wish must go unsatisfied after all. The second room appeared much the same size as the first, and like it in all respects, till, looking upwards, I noticed a square trap-door in a corner, while, underneath, against the wall, hung a rough ladder. This I proceeded to lift down, and, mounting, cautiously lifted the trap, holding the candle above my head to survey this chamber, or, rather, garret, the first object my eye encountered was a small tin pannikin, and beyond that a stone jar or demijohn. Upon closer inspection I found this last to be nearly full of water, quite sweet and fresh to the taste, which, of itself, was sufficient evidence that someone had been here very lately. I now observed a bundle of hay in one corner which had clearly served for a bed, beside which were a cracked mug, a tin plate, a pair of shoes, and an object I took to be part of a flute or wind instrument of some kind. But what particularly excited my interest were the shoes, which had evidently seen long and hard service, for they were much worn and had been roughly patched here and there. Very big they were, and somewhat clumsy, thick-soled, and square of toe, and with a pair of enormous silver buckles. These evidences led me to believe that whoever had been here before was likely to return, and, not doubting that this must be he who had played the part of ghost so well, I determined to be ready for him. So, leaving all things as I found them, I descended, and, having closed the trap, hung up the ladder as I had found it. In the first of the rooms there was a rough fireplace built into one corner, and as the air struck somewhat damp and chill, I went out and gathered a quantity of twigs and dry wood, and had soon built a cheerful, crackling fire. 
I now set about collecting armfuls of dry leaves which I piled against the wall for a bed. By the time this was completed to my satisfaction, the moon was peeping above the tree-tops, filling the hollow with far-flung shadows. I now lay down upon my leafy couch, and fell to watching the fire, and listening to the small soft song of the brook outside. In the opposite wall was a window, the glass of which was long since gone, through which I could see a square of sky, and the glittering belt of Orion. My eyes wandered from this to the glow of the fire many times, but gradually my head grew heavier and heavier, until at length the stars became confused with the winking sparks upon the hearth, and the last that I remember was that the crackle of the fire sounded strangely like the voice of the ancient croaking. A hideous thing, Peter! A hideous thing! I must have slept for an hour, or nearer two, for the room was dark, save for a few glowing embers on the hearth, and the faint light of the stars at the window, when I suddenly sat bolt upright with every tingling nerve straining as if to catch something which had, but that very moment, eluded me. I was yet wondering what this could be when, from somewhere close outside the cottage, there rose a sudden cry, hideous and appalling, a long, drawn-out, bubbling scream, no other words can describe it, that died slowly down to a wail only to rise again higher and higher till it seemed to pierce my very brain. Then all at once it was gone, and silence rushed in upon me, a silence fraught with fear and horror unimaginable. I lay rigid, the blood in my veins jumping with every throb of my heart till it seemed to shake me from head to foot, and when the cry began again, deep and hoarse at first, but rising, rising until the air thrilled with a scream such as no earthly lips could utter. Now the light at the window grew stronger and stronger, and all at once a feeble shaft of moonlight crept across the floor. I was watching this most welcome beam when it was again obscured by a something, indefinable at first, but which I gradually made out to be very like a human head peering in at me. But if this was so, it seemed a head hideously misshapen. And there, sure enough, rising from the brow, was a long, pointed horn. As I lay motionless, staring at this thing, my hand, by some most fortunate chance, encountered the pistol in my pocket, and from the very depths of my soul I poured benedictions upon the honest head of Simon the innkeeper, for its very contact seemed to restore my benumbed faculties. With a single bound I was upon my feet, and had the weapon leveled at the window. "'Speak!' said I. "'Speak, or I'll shoot!' There was a moment of tingling suspense, and then, "'Oh, man, didn't do that!' said a voice. "'Then come in and show yourself.' Herewith the head incontinently disappeared. There was the sound of a heavy step, and a tall figure loomed in the doorway. "'Wait!' said I, as, fumbling about, I presently found tinder-box and candle, having lighted which I turned and beheld a man, an exceedingly tall man, 
clad in the full habit of a Scottish Highlander. By his side hung a long, straight, basket-hilted sword, beneath one arm he carried a bagpipe, while upon his head was not a horn, but a Scots bonnet with a long eagle's feather. "'Oh, man!' said he, eyeing me with a somewhat wry smile. "'I'm just thinking you're no afeard of bogus, whatever.'" Chapter Twenty Eight, The Highland Piper "'Who are you?' said I, in no very gentle tone. "'Donald's my name, sir, and if you had an eye for the tartan, you'd ken I was a Stuart. And what do you want here, Donald Stuart? The vera question should be asking yourself. What cares you to come gawkin' and spearin' aboot here at an hour? It is my intention to live here for the future, said I. Hoot, hoot! Ye'll be no meanin' it. But I do mean it. Eh, man, but ye maun ken the place is no canny, what with pixies and warlocks and kelpies forby. Indeed, they told me it was haunted, but I determined to see for myself. Weel, well, I am glad to find it haunted by nothing worse than a wandering Scots piper. The Highlander smiled his wry smile, and taking out a snuff-box, inhaled a pinch, regarding me the while. Ye're the first as ever stayed, after they'd heard the first bit squeaky, to find out if twere a real bogey or no. But how in the world did you make such awful sounds? I'm thinking it's the bit squeaky ye'll be meanin', he inquired. Yes, how did you do it? Oh, it's just the pipes, he answered, patting them affectionately. Will I show you the new? Pray do, said I. Hereupon he set the mouthpiece to his lips, inflated the bag, stopped the vents with his fingers, and immediately the air vibrated with the bubbling scream I have already attempted to describe. Oh, man, he exclaimed, laying the still groaning instrument gently aside, oh, man, is it no just wonderful? But what has been your object in terrifying people out of their wits in this manner? Sir, it's on account of the snuff. Snuff? Just that? Snuff, said I again. What do you mean? The piper smiled again, a slow smile that seemingly dawned only to vanish again. It was indeed, if I may so express it, a grave and solemn smile, and his nearest approach to mirth, for not once in the days which followed did I ever see him give vent to a laugh. I here also take the opportunity to say that I have greatly modified his speech in the writing, for it was so broad that I had much ado to grasp his meaning at times. The piper smiled, then, and, unwinding the plaid from his shoulder, spread it upon the floor and sat down. "'You man ken,' he began, "'that I have no love for the snuff, and snuff is unco expensive in these parts.' "'Well,' said I, "'you man ken, in the second place, that my brother Alan can abide the snuff, "'Your brother Alan?' said I, wondering. "'My brother Alan,' he nodded gravely. "'But what of him? What has he to do with—' "'Man, by the wee, I'm coming to that.' Well, "'Go on, then,' said I. "'I'm listening.' "'Weel, I'd hae ye taken I'm a brow bonny piper. "'And my brother Alan, he's a bonny piper, too. "'No such a fair-ground piper as me, "'being somewhat uncertain with his warblers, you can.' But a bonny piper, whatever. A will, maybe a year a sing, I fell in love with a lassie, which would have been a richt if my brother Alan hadn't fallen in love with her too, so that she, poor lassie, didn't ken which to take. 
donald says alan can you no love a nither lassie she can no marry the twa o us that's sure then alan says i we'll just play for her which i think ill own was a grand idee only the lassie couldna just make up her mind which o us piped the best so the end of it was we agreed my brother alan and i to pipe her way through england for a year and the man what came back with a maced sealer should wed the lassie and a very fair proposal said i but whist man just here's where we come to the snuff for look ye every time i bought a paper o snuff i minded me that my brother alan not tackin it himself was so much siller to the good and oh man it used to grieve me sir till one day i lighted on this bit hoosie well said i what do you not see it no indeed i answered hey man me brither alan doesna buy the snuff but he must hae a roof to shelter him in a bed to lay in a nights and pay for it too ye ken four pence or a bobby or a shillin as the case may be whilst here i have baith for the taking and oh man many's the nicht i slept the sweeter for thinking of that saxpence or shillin that alan's a partin with for a bed little better than mine so wish for to keep this bit hoosie to myself seen twas haunted as they call it i just to keep up the illusion on account of trampers wandering gypsies and sich like dirty tykes eh but twas fair ground to see him runnin away as if the devil were after him spirit back o'er their shoulders and by reason of a bit squeaky o the pipes here and so sir ye ha it i now proceeded to build and relight the fire during which the scotch drew a packet of bread and cheese from his sporran together with a flask which having uncorked he held out to me with one word whisky thank you donald but i rarely drink anything stronger than ale said i a weel said he if you winna you winna and there's but a wee drappy left to be sure whereupon after two or three generous gulps he addressed himself to his bread and cheese and i following his example took out the edibles simon had provided and you're minded to bide here you tell me he inquired after a while yes i nodded but that need not interfere with you two can live here as easily as one and now that i have had a good look at you i think we might get along very well together sir said he solemnly my race is royal i am a steward here's a steward's hand and he reached out his hand to me across the hearth with a gesture that was full of a reposeful dignity indeed i never remember to have seen donald anything but dignified how do you find life in these parts i inquired indifferent sir very indifferent to be sure at fairs and sick like i'm often had as much as ten shillin in my bonnet at a time but it's just the kilties that draw em they had no real love for the pipes whatever a rantin real pleases em well enough but eh they hae no hankerin for the good music that is a question open to argument donald said i can any one play real music on a bagpipe think you sir returned the scot setting down the empty flask and frowning darkly at the fire the pipes is the king of our instruments tis the sweetest the truest the oldest whatever true it is very old said i thoughtfully it was known i believe to the greeks and we find mention of it in the latin as tibia utricularia 
Suetonius tells us that Nero promised to appear publicly as a bagpiper. Then, too, Chaucer's Miller played a bagpipe, and Shakespeare frequently mentions the drone of a Lincolnshire bagpipe. Yes, it is certainly a very old and, I think, a very barbarous instrument. Hoot hoot! The man talks like a muckle fool, said Donald, nodding to the fire. For instance, I continued, there can be no comparison between a bagpipe and a fiddle, say. A fiddle! exclaimed Donald in accents of withering scorn, and still addressing the fire. You can just tell him to gang to the devil with his fiddle. Music is, I take it, the expression of one's mood or thought, a dream translated into sound, said I thoughtfully. Therefore, have you ever heard the pipes? Why, yes, but long ago. Then, said Donald, you shall just hear em again. So saying, he wiped his mouth, took up his instrument, and began slowly inflating it. Then, all at once, from drones and chanter, there rushed forth such a flood of melody as seemed to sweep me away upon its tide. First I seemed to hear a roar of wind through desolate glens, a moan of trees, and a rush of sounding waters. Yet softly, softly, there rises above the flood of sound a little rippling melody which comes and goes, and comes again, growing ever sweeter with repetition. And now the roar of wind is changed to the swing of marching feet, the tread of a mighty host whose step is strong and free. And, lo, they are singing as they march, and the song is bold and wild, wild, wild. Again and again, beneath the song, beneath the rhythm of marching feet, the melody rises, very sweet but infinitely sad, like a silver pipe or an angel's voice tremulous with tears. Once again the theme changes, and it is battle, and death sudden and sharp. There is the rush and shock of charging ranks, and the surge and tumult of conflict, above whose thunder, loud and clear and shrill, like some battle-cry, the melody swells, one moment triumphant, and the next lost again. But the thunder rolls away, distant and more distant, the day is lost and won, but sudden and clear the melody rings out once more, fuller now, richer and complete. The silver pipe has become a golden trumpet. And yet, what sorrow, what anguish unspeakable rings through it, the weeping and wailing of a nation. So the melody sinks slowly to die away in one long-drawn minor note, and Donald is looking across at me with his grave smile, and I will admit both his face and figure are sadly blurred. Donald, said I after a little, Donald, I will never speak against the pipes again. They are indeed the king of all instruments, played as you play them. Oh, hey, I'm a bonny piper, I'll no deny it, he answered. I'm glad ye like it, for sassanash though ye be, it proves ye hae the music. Tis a bit pibroch I made to Woolly Wallace. Him as the damned did Sassenach murdered, black be their fa. Aweel, it was done afore your time or mine, so good nicht to ye, Sotheran. Saying which, he rose, saluted me stiffly, and stalked majestically to bed. End of section eleven.